Welcome to another edition of the Hawk Off the Press podcast, after the final score edition, and in the car on IED edition. I'm John Steppe, joined by Mike Loss. Mike, that was quite the game that Iowa had. Going into it, Iowa had nine wins and really was ugly at winning those nine, and Nebraska looked really good at losing close games. And it's kind of the perfect marriage between those two today. Yeah, at the end of the third quarter, I thought Iowa was a defeated team, and then they blocked punt. And I think that we all knew what was going to happen after that, John. It was like the world turn. Yeah, it started to seem more like Iowa football. Winning with defense, winning with special teams, and then the offense doing enough to be able to get away with it. Yeah, I mean, you can't shortchange the offense. The game's 21-21, and the offense takes it down the field, scores a touchdown with three minutes left for the win. Yeah. They had a rushing attack in which Tyler Goodson had 155 yards. But for three quarters, they couldn't score an offensive touchdown. In fact, for 57 minutes, they couldn't. Yeah. And it was on... It wasn't on the defense. It was on the special teams. If they don't get that block punt, I don't think they win that game. That was the thing that just uh, gave Iowa a lightning bolt and made them realize uh, we can win this thing and are probably going to. And it made Nebraska realize we are going to lose again. And sure enough, they did. Yeah, and you look at it, the first three quarters, the defense really was nothing remarkable, especially in the first half. No, uh, they didn't know what to do with Nebraska's offense with the quarterback they'd never seen before freshman smothers a pair of 75 yard touchdown drives and a 94 yard touchdown drive the 94 yard touchdown drive I thought could have been a backbreaker because it comes after Iowa fumbles the ball away at the Nebraska 6 yeah and it finally seemed like okay things are going well and then Goodson with a really rare fumble there yeah, and, and uh, you think, okay, it's still 7-3, to three, and you got Nebraska at, the, at its own 6. Typical field position game, Iowa's in good shape. I mean, you don't want to fumble the ball away at the 6, but this isn't going to kill you. And then Smothers leads them 94 yards, and it's 14-3, to three, and it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> this thing's different than the last few weeks. And it felt like it was different than the last few weeks, those three games in a row Iowa won in November, until, one more time, the blocked punt. Yeah, that really was the play of the game. And with somebody who hasn't necessarily been a household name at Iowa with Henry Marquise making the big play. Right, I mean, I didn't didn't even know how to pronounce his last name correctly. (laughs) But he's been in the program for five years, was a scholarship player, uh, recruited to play wide receiver, got moved to defensive back, never really moved up the depth chart, but he found uh, his way as a special teams player, had a huge block in that Charlie Jones 100-yard kickoff return last week, and then this block punt today, I watched it on replay a few times, and it, it was just like a, a, a rocket. <laughs> I mean, he was a laser. He was both a laser and a rocket. And, uh, I mean, he just comes zooming right in on the punter, dove at him, got the ball. It pops up in the air, hangs in there like some corny sports movie, you know, (laughs) in slow motion. 
and another uh, unheralded player, a sophomore linebacker, Kyler, what's his last name? Fisher. Fisher. Yeah, yes. okay. Sorry, Kyler. <laughs> Fish. It's late. Yeah, but but uh, this guy picks the ball out of the air, trots home 14 yards, touchdown, and it's a whole different game. And you know, those punting is winning shirts are really selling well. Maybe it's time for Raygun to have punt blocking is winning yeah. t-shirts. Yeah, they might need a special edition for that. You know, and look, it's still twenty-one sixteen. They've still got to score more points, but it's it seemed like f- uh, five seconds later, Iowa records a safety, and it's twenty-one eighteen. And Nebraska's offense—it's like we've seen their offense. We've seen what this freshman quarterback can do today. They don't have any more tricks left in the bag. Uh, this thing's unraveling, and it really unraveled. And I think people are really going to remember the safety a lot. And I think people are really going to remember the block punt a lot. If one play gets forgotten, I think it might be the fumble forced by Zach Van Valkenburg. Because then Iowa gets the ball right around midfield. I think it's their own 46 or something like that. And Iowa goes three and out. And you're thinking, oh man, how did they pass up on this opportunity? This is me, the story of the game. They can't take advantage of opportunities. They fumble it. When Goodson was getting into the red zone, then this. But because of that punt from Tory Taylor after that three and out, that's what set up the field position for the safety. Yeah, the defense had Nebraska's number in the fourth quarter so that there wasn't panic after they didn't convert on that one opportunity. Yeah. And Van Valkenburg, I mean, I have a vote in the AP All-Big Ten uh, team, and I know that I'm not going to have to even think about it. There's going to be a place for Van Valkenburg on it. Oh, yeah, he has been incredible this year. I don't think you can name a better person, at least in the West Division. I haven't paid as close attention to the East. But he's certainly very deserving. And it's actually kind of interesting with the, okay, defense not having the greatest game through the first three quarters and then the fourth quarter really stepping up. Kind of reminds me a little bit of the Minnesota game. Yeah, there were similarities. Absolutely. Where Minnesota had, I think it was more than 200 rushing yards through the first three quarters. Mm -hmm. And then they went backwards in the fourth quarter. So they didn't end up with 200 rushing yards. Yeah, I mean, Nebraska's quarterback, Smothers, had 64 rushing yards in the first half. He had zero in the second half. Yeah, that was really <laughs> a really dramatic stat there. Yeah. 64 and then nothing. He gave him everything you could really have hoped for if you're Nebraska, I think, being, you know, stepping into that tough spot, playing as well as he did. It was on Nebraska to not allow the stuff that it allowed starting with and perhaps ending with the block punt. <laughs> Did we mention that there's a big block punt? Yeah. That's yeah. the story of the game. But, I mean, I've never seen, to my knowledge, maybe it's happened, I've never seen Iowa score by offense, defense, and special teams in the same quarter. <laughs> oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. That is. Yeah, they had a 19-point fourth quarter, and the defense got two of those points. And then special teams got seven of those. Yeah. 
And you got to mention Caleb Shudak. I mean, we, we've talked too long already without mentioning him. Oh, yeah. What he did was, well, he was perfect. He was just perfect. Four for four field goals. Three of them are 44 or longer. For the second week in a row, he makes a 51-yarder. For the second week in a row, he makes a 48-yarder. He's made eight field goals in the last two weeks. If he's ordinary, they're hurting. And he's been sensational this year. Oh, and yeah. I, I, You know, we're talking all Big Ten. I don't know what the other kickers in the Big Ten have done, but I'd be very... And I know two of the, two of the three Lou Groza Award finalists are from the Big Ten for kicker of the year in the country. But I'm going to have to study those stats pretty carefully this weekend to see if either of the two Groza finalists have been better than Caleb Shudak. And Shudak is really a great story where sixth-year player was... He could have put his name into the portal and left if he wanted to. He stuck things he out. He did put his name in the portal in 2019, in fact, and then took yeah. it out. Yeah, so he even did take the step of putting his name in the portal, but he could have left and kept the name in his in the portal. But, no, he comes back in 2019 and 2020 and 2021, and finally he gets his opportunity after being behind Keith Duncan last year. Yeah, it's been an amazing three years of place kicking for that program. Yeah. Uh, Duncan last year, it, it was closer to ordinary just because the field goal opportunities weren't as plentiful. They scored a lot of touchdowns. But between Duncan in 19 and Shudak this year, I don't remember anything like it since Nate Kading in back-to-back years. And things obviously were pretty special with Kading considering how many years he spent in the NFL. Yeah, he was a great one. But, you know, you just can't ask for more than what Duncan did two years ago and what Shudak has done this fall. Yeah, and really credit, too. We've talked so much about special teams to LeVar Woods coordinating that group. You know, not somebody who at first was a special teams guy but kind of earned his special teams chops in the NFL, and it's been impressive. He's kind of like... His story is kind of like the story of some of his special teams players. He, oh, yeah. He, uh, uh, as a coach, he came to Iowa uh, two years out of an NFL career that lasted six seasons, largely because he was a good special teams player. He, was a, uh, he wasn't a starting defensive uh, lineman in the league, but, he, but he, he was a reliable backup. But... He made his bones in the NFL in special teams as a player. So he understands the life. He understands the mentality. He understands how important it is. And so he comes to Iowa. 2008, he joins the program as an administrative assistant. And he's an AA for four years. He's got bills to pay. He's got a family in Iowa City. And he's not making very much money at all. I mean, nobody's going to write any, you know hold any telethons for the guy now (laughs) but I mean back then he was financially uh, yeah he'd he'd been in the NFL for six years so he wasn't destitute but Iowa wasn't paying him much he was an administrative assistant but he wanted to coach and in uh, openings occurred after the 2011 season he got one of them and look at him now. Uh, he's been the special teams coordinator for the last four years, and Iowa special teams in that time have been borderline extraordinary. 
Oh, yeah. When you look at everything, it's the punting, Tory Taylor with that punch to set up the safety, the field goal kicking with each of Caleb Shudek's really important four field goals. Then punt coverage had just an okay day in terms of the gunners, but then you have the the block punt in case people hadn't heard that already. Yeah, I mean, what, the names you just named, I mean, they've got three players who've been special team superstars. Yeah. Shudak, Tory Taylor, Charlie Jones. Uh, it, it takes others to make them superstars. I mean, Taylor's leg is his leg, <laughs> but, and then likewise with Shudak, but uh, for nobody to lay a glove on those punters, uh, Taylor did have one blocked recently, okay, I'll give you that, but you know, to, to help Charlie Jones spring for a 100-yarder and for his consistently great returns the last two years. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, the the, uh, the kickoffs in the end zone every single time today, no returns. That's big. They yeah. don't give up any kickoff return yardage. They don't give up any punt return yardage. Every aspect of their special teams, you would give an A to. Yeah, and you had contributions throughout the year from people like Ivory Kelly Martin from Terry Roberts who have more yeah. recently been dealing with injuries but they've been kind of special teams all Americans if they gave them out to gunners right right that's that's easily forgotten because it was the when Iowa was building its 6 and 0 record Terry Roberts was a phenomenon on those special teams you know yeah so yeah the, it's a good of you to bring those up and then with Tyler Goodson, he had a really good day, and it seems to be that this running game is finally starting to hit a groove, and I think a lot of it is a result of the people up front, the offensive line, one, getting healthier, and two, getting more experience. Yeah, which makes sense, and, and Linderbaum's been insisting that they would get better, and the last two weeks the running game has been very good. Holes have been there, and, and, and Goodson knows what to do with Holes, of course. Yeah. He's got 1,100 yards now this season, which is the most by an Iowa back since Wadley in 2017. And he'll have another game to go. So he'll yeah. top what Woodley had. Wadley, I'm sorry. And that's back-to-back big, big games for Good, uh, Goodson. And uh, I'm glad because he's been put in a lot of tough spots this year. And he hasn't complained a bit. He just keeps playing, keeps playing, keeps playing, and the line keeps growing, keeps growing, keeps growing. And they're not where they want to be, but they're a lot better than they've been. Yeah. Those first couple weeks, it was like, a, oh, wow, okay, this this isn't, this group has some work to do. And now you're starting to see, okay, they're not really going to be a team that can go out and push around Ohio State by any means. Well, yeah, I mean, look, that's a subject that we're going to get to. We might as well dive into it. Yeah, let's just go right into it. Every Hawkeye we talked to today said, go Gophers. (laughs) They want Minnesota to beat Wisconsin. They want to go to Indianapolis, play Ohio State, try to win a Big Ten title. Okay, but... You know, if you don't play them, you're going to be 10-2 and two when you go to your bowl game. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, and I think there is some benefit to being the out or the... I shouldn't say outright because it's going to be a tie, it looks like, if Wisconsin wins. Well, look, you want, you want 
Wisconsin to lose. You want to win the division all by yourself. Yeah. But there's no question about it. Your competitors. You believe you can go to ND, play Ohio State, or Michigan. We don't know yet. Yeah, it could be Michigan. That's a good point. And uh, and uh, find another way. But uh, this is out of their control, and from now until late tomorrow afternoon, they can just enjoy what they did in Lincoln on Friday and uh, leave the leave the rest to somebody else. Chips will fall where they may, as, as, as they say. And if Minnesota does spring the upset... Uh, it's going to be kind of like, wait a minute. <laughs> They're going to Indianapolis. Yeah, I don't think anyone really has it kind of set in like, oh, yeah, they could potentially. But that will be an interesting game. And the one you... person who wouldn't say go Gophers was Kirk Ferentz. Well, I did find that I think that funny. was a question from you, wasn't it? That was a question from me, yes. How, how would you uh, relay that story? So... We've heard now time and time again is because Kirk Ferentz is our last post-game press conference. After several players. Yes. And we've heard time and time again variations of Go Gophers. Ben Valkenberg saying, well, I think I'd be the biggest Gopher fan in the world or something like that. So then as they're trying to get a couple more questions in before Kirk gets kind of shuffled off... uh, I say, so are you a Minnesota fan tomorrow? And he said, well, I didn't say that. <laughs> or those weren't my words or something like that. Um, he said, I'll be hoping for the right outcome. Yeah, he said, I've been here 30 years. There's only one Big Ten team I root for. And I could figure out which team. Yeah. The... <laughs> it was funny. I mean, yes. I, I, I don't laugh out loud at press conferences very often, but that one got me. <laughs> well, if Kirk, if you're a listener to the Hawk Off the Press podcast, I do know that the answer is Iowa. So, if somebody who talks to Kirk a lot is a listener, well, let me tell you something. If if it's uh, if it's seventeen to seventeen up in Minneapolis tomorrow, and the Gophers are trying a forty-eight yard field goal with three seconds left. Ference is a Gophers fan. <laughs> as much as he might say he's not, yeah, I think uh-huh. he won't be wearing any maroon, but maybe he'll wear a little bit of gold. <laughs> yeah. That's a mutual color, at least. <laughs> well, uh, who'd have thunk it? I mean, when November started, they were, uh, what were they in the conference? Two and two? Can that be right? Oh, I don't know. Oh, three and two. I'm sorry. Yeah. I I can't do the math. Yeah, they were three and two. They finished seven and two. Okay. Yeah. So I'm sorry. Oh, and now the math is coming back. All right. To me. So, but they, they told were, me there'd be no journalism. They were three no and math two, and the question wasn't if they could finish first in the West. If could they finish in the top half of the West? They just lost to two West teams. Oh yeah. Purdue and Wisconsin. And the way they were playing offensively in those games, you weren't convinced how many more games they could win. Well, they they found four ways. They found four ways to win, and and uh, seven and two is is permanent now, and that's going to look pretty good. And I think the thing too is if anybody after that Wisconsin loss, I remember kind of just the dumbfoundedness that kind of I think hit everybody after that game. 
where wow because yeah. people kind of think okay Purdue it's a fluke it's bad but hey it's just a fluke they get the bye week of an extra week to prepare against Wisconsin after that Wisconsin game I think everyone was shell shocked yeah they only had 150 some yards in that game and it's like you know Wisconsin's the class of the west and everybody else is playing for runner up well uh maybe not yeah, I think if you asked anybody in the fan base four weeks ago, hey, you're going to have a chance to still go to Indianapolis where you finish 7-2 and two and you just need, well, I shouldn't say just need because it's a pretty big ask here. Wisconsin hasn't lost at Minnesota since MySpace was created. The same year I was Santa in my kindergarten classes Christmas play. So it has been a while. So five years ago? <laughs> and another 13 to that? Yeah, I, yeah, know. I know. And, and I'll tell you, I'm not convinced Minnesota can move the ball in Wisconsin, but it's a goofy league. We've seen a lot of goofy stuff this year. Yeah. I'm going to be interested tomorrow afternoon to tune into that and see if it's a possibility. So it'll be interesting, and I think... It's about as good as anybody could have asked for. Well, what Iowa did guarantee itself today, John, is that it's going to go to a good bowl. If, yeah. it, if it had gone on and, and flopped in the fourth quarter the way it was stumbling around in the first three, I think they would have dropped in the bowl hierarchy or the, oh, on yeah. the bowl ladder or whatever you want to call it. And the drop might have been somewhat steep. I mean, I think that they could have fallen out of that citrus outback thing altogether and maybe fallen down to the Music City Las Vegas Bowl tier. I really yeah. do because uh, you know, I think that it would have been very easy for other bowls to put other teams ahead of them. Now you look at Michigan State. They're 9-2. and two. They play Penn State tomorrow and I just read Michigan State is just like Iowa this week. Michigan State's gotten clobbered by the flu only it's happening right now and they're talking like they could have up to 20 players missing against Penn State tomorrow. Wow. If Michigan State gets beaten soundly by Penn State, maybe, you know, Iowa just leaps past them. And maybe one of those New Year's Six Bowls is still, you know, not completely out of reach. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of a stretch. And we'll see a little more with the results tomorrow. Mississippi State losing to Ole Miss did not do no, that didn't the Hawkeyes them. any favors that didn't with that. Them. But, you know, a 10-2 and two Big Ten team... Is, is an attractive thing. And yeah. uh, I don't know how the college football playoff selection committee is going to play it next week. Gary Barta can't help the Hawkeyes. Yep, he has to step out of the room. Yeah, and, you know, really, these things are pretty cut and dried anyhow. Yeah. I mean, it's, but um, maybe things will break right for him. I don't know. But the, but the point is, they're going to go to a good bowl game, and they're going to play a good opponent, which that's all I ever want as, as a sports writer is I want the bowl game to mean something. I don't oh, yeah. want you to go play a team that's 7-5 and five someplace that's going through the motions. <laughs> I want you to play somebody. You're not a big Cheez-It Bowl fan. Uh, I don't like the snack cracker. I don't like the bowl game. Wow, you don't even like the snack no, cracker. No, no, no. Oh, I don't know how I'm going to be able to be in the same car with you for the next three and a half hours well, after. Well, we're getting close to uh, 
Papillon, Nebraska, if you want to hop out, let me know. <laughs> uh, I think I'll. What, I are think the, I'll what are the odds survive. I pronounce that right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't Probably correct pa- you. It could be Papillion, I have no idea. <laughs> Omaha, I can get. Yeah, that one is a common enough one. I'm right now thinking that there's a pretty good chance of the Citrus Ball. Yeah. Based uh, on it's that. A, it's a big game. You know, it's a big New Year's game. Yeah. So, if that's what it is, that's what it is. But, but, uh. And that's best case scenario outside of New Year's We sex. don't know anything right now. And we got the, the, the fate of Iowa hangs in the balance of what goes on in Minneapolis tomorrow. So, that's where I'm going to put the pedal to the metal here and get us back to Cedar Rapids. Uh, and I will put the pedal to the brake here and wrap things up. Thanks again for tuning in to another edition of Hawk Off the Press after the final score. I'll be back with another edition of the pod- podcast, not while driving on I-80 through Nebraska this week. So thanks again, and we will talk Hawks later.